Los Angeles is an ever-changing city, with many moving here to be part of its industries like fashion, entertainment, and music. It's also a very brown city, with its Spanish street names and cool, iconic brown neighborhoods, and some of the best Mexican and Central American food in the country. Yes, I said that. Hello there. I'm Drew Barrios, and I'm brown. I'm an L.A. native. And this is a conversation of what it is to be a brown person in this city and our different narratives. What do I mean by brown? Chicano, Latino, Latinx, Chicana, Central American, South American, Caribbean, and anybody who recognizes themselves as one. I want to change your perception of the myths and misconceptions of who we are. This is not to offend. This is just to educate. This is being brown in L.A. All right, guys, we're back. Welcome to the show. And today we want to welcome Fern. And Fern is the owner and pitmaster of Ragtop Fern's Barbecue. Barbecue. How you doing, brother? Good, and yourself? I'm all right. Everything's <laughs> good. I'm surviving the pandemic. Um, Fern, tell us what you do. Uh, well, I operate my barbecue business and that's one thing i do and then by day i'm a ups driver Hardly. and the one thing about fern is that he's always on time <laughs> and he sometimes he's early so I, I love the the responsibility of fern just as a person himself uh fern i saw your your ig your instagram and in the bio it said el og los angeles barbecue uh-huh give me a little bit more information about that uh, well, I don't want to like self-proclaim myself or give myself a certain title. It was just something that I just came up with. But like, I, it's it's not like saying that I'm the only one that's ever done this. It's not like I can't say, oh, I'm the only one that barbecues in L.A. That's it's nonsense. Everyone's done it. But I think why I said that or how I put that into that aspect is because um, pre kind of. Well, now we have a lot of like people that are doing like their whole own thing the whole underground food scene or whatever that has like blown up within the past couple of years. Like I've been doing my thing for like, like going on, I think like on four years. And, you know, I remember I was pretty much the only one that started doing that. And then, or at least out in the open. And then like, I don't know where you started getting all these other people doing barbecue and, and, uh, people doing just like, or random things that they just want to start selling and doing it's just like it started a thing i guess in a sense so at a point in my life i grew up in south central uh-huh. and in compton there's blood cells that have been there for a very long time yeah and in other places in in you know in south central like on, on manchester and of course in inglewood there was barbecue spots and somehow you know everybody knew they were there it was sometimes it was hard to get to them there um but i remember living for for after a while living in l.a like in major downtown LA and thinking like there is no barbecue spot for us here. Uh-huh. And I was working for LA Weekly shooting their stories and getting pictures of, you know, whatever they were writing. And I remember there was this old school writer that had been there with them for a long time and we were having the conversation of like, man, there's so much good food in LA. And I said, "Unfortunately, there's no good barbecue." Uh-huh. And he said, "What?" <laughs> he said, "Man, you don't know about Fern?" <laughs> and I was like, no, I mean, 
is that like a like a restaurant? And he goes, no, man. It's a dude with a with a smoker on the street just fucking doing it. And I thought, what the hell? He goes, when you walk up there, the smoker says Inferno. And I was like, nah. And he goes, dude, this is a true story. And and because I told him, like, well, you know, there's these little random barbecue spots and they're just horrible and they're either boiled meat or or some kind of like charred meat that's not really that good. Uh-huh. They don't have a technique ready. He goes, no, man, this dude. He has a line before he even opens. And, you know, if you don't get there on time, which I had experienced myself, yeah. he said, you're not going to get anything. And you were like one of the first ones, I think, to come. I, I, I'm, I'm very good with faces. And I remember, like, I think the first time you came and this was like in the beginning stages when I was doing that. I was just like, oh, no, sorry, sorry. And I think the second or third time was when you actually caught me. And it, I was like, okay, I remember you. It was the third time. And the funny thing is that when I got off my car the first time I showed up, um, I guess it must have been recent because the guy said, man, you better go and you better go early. Yeah. And I thought early to me was like, oh, I'll get there right at time. Yeah. And I guess the whole saying is if you're on time, you're late. <laughs> In a sense, yeah. And so I saw your face and you were like, sorry, brother, I'm done. And yeah. you were you were nice about it. You smiled and you were like, yeah, I'm done already. And then I think I came back a second time and it was over again. And about the third time, and you were like, hey, man, you're the one that came. And, yeah. and, and about the third time, I did get to eat it. And then it was kind of like a triumph. Like, I finally got it. Yeah. And then I took it home. And I remember my roommate at the time was like, what is this? Where'd you get this? How far did you have to go? Not far. And I was like, no, not far, man. I just went <laughs> down to, yeah. to Westmoreland and I got it there. And it was a trip because... One is like I've traveled in different places. I've had, you know, Texas barbecue and I've had barbecue in other spots. And to me, I was like, this is really good. And I think you had a, a, a green chorizo at the time, too. Yeah, I was doing. A, well, I wasn't doing it. I was there was a, a buddy of mine that uh, his name is uh, the Chori Man. He's out in San Pedro now. He used to he supplies like different spots. I think like he does. Uh, he supplies, I think, what is it? Salazar and Frogtown. Uh, he also does, uh, I think he, I think he has the chorizo at Sonora town too in downtown. So he was at the time he was moving around and supplying people and he was, he was pretty much, um, I told him I kind of, at the time I was like experimenting with like different things that I wanted to do or, uh, pretty much, I mean, I've, when I kind of dove into this, I, I wanted to do it my own way. And like, you either like it or you don't, if you do, you do it. Like there's different, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. Definitely. But I've always wanted to do things my own way. Like, I don't, you know, for a lack of terms, I don't give a shit if, like, some people like me or some people don't. I mean, for the most part, they do. So that's good. Yeah. But um, but you're a really likable guy. Yeah. For some odd reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, 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 like, I've always, like, I'll, I want to do my own thing. I don't like to follow people. I don't like to, you know, I, I, I will admire. I'll look up to people, but I don't, I don't want to glorify people. Or live under somebody's shadow. I feel like, um, you know, the one thing that I that I noticed that you know, the writers and people in the uh, you know, like Taco LA, like Yelp, LA Weekly, all those people were sort of buzzing around about you know what you were doing, yeah. and then there was all these lists that came up, and I feel like sometimes these lists are can be a little misleading or put people in competition with other people, but I feel like everybody has a different kind of style. And you mentioned some of them. And, and in every list, there's always the common names, you know, Sonora Town, you know, Salazar's, yeah. Bloodsos, um, Maple. 
uh, and Beryl. And then your name always kept coming up. Uh-huh. And the huge difference is like, you know, when I had to explain it to people, it's like, yeah, man, he does it in his front yard and he's got a smoker on the sidewalk. Yeah. And people were like, well, so, so like, where's the seating and where's the chair? I was like, there's no chairs, fool. Like you show up. I have lawn chairs. You get your barbecue <laughs> and you can leave. And, and if, you know, and if you're somebody that he likes and you know, he knows you, he'll let you sit in his porch and eat the barbecue. Yeah. Uh, he's not a bad guy when it comes to that, but it's not like a restaurant and no. so they're like you know like what do we have to make reservations and i was like no man you just have to show and i think it was like a concept for them because they didn't know if it was a pop-up or or a street vendor thing and they're like well how do we and i was like just go yeah and then you'll see and the people that i sent over were always impressed and they were like oh my god this is so good and, but he just does it out of his front yard and i was like that's it man that, i mean you don't really need much you know because i'm telling you like at that's why like i kind of threw that whole name how you said it because at the time nobody was doing that it, and it's like how you said people get confused and i would have people tell me oh do, do you have seating do you have i'm like you could pick a spot on the stoop <laughs> where if there's like a chair open or you could you know stand outside or should hang out with me and drink beer if you want i don't care like but and and i think people would trip out by that i was like it's literally like you're coming to hang out with me and eat and drink it's like a hey we're having a barbecue come over and get some stuff in a sense yeah yeah and i and i feel like that was the whole environment like when you go there um and you're and it's your first time there's the people that know and the people that don't and yeah. i think everybody just acclimates right away they're like oh yeah you know like oh well if he's sitting there like i'll just sit right yeah. here and i and i actually saw one time i parked and i actually saw people sitting on the curb eating it and yeah. like the only time i've ever sitting on a curb and ate something was like three in the morning taco echo park dog. Eating a hot dog or a yep. taco on the curb because I'm drunk, You're but drunk. these people were like committed. They're like, "This barbecue's so good. I'm not gonna wait until I get home. I'm gonna eat it right here in this curb, yeah, by Westmoreland and Temple, yeah, <laughs> and just you know chow down, yeah." And I think it was great that that you know you had Latinos, you had white people, you had Asian people, um, you had everybody in different cultures just standing in line waiting for this because there's a there's that common thread. Like, we'll go anywhere for good food, yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you can make a line to go to Howling Rays or you can, you know, shout out to Howling Rays. Yeah. Awesome chicken. But if you can make a line and go to these places and eat that, why not to do something like this where, like, the barbecue is not going to be the same as the other so-called barbecues in L.A.? Yeah. And I think it's getting better. I mean, the whole thing with the whole story with Blood Souls, the original and Compton is still there. But now, you know, of course. Actually, it's not. Oh, it's not. It actually That's, closed down. It's been down for a while. They only have now. A spot in Fairfax. So I know that they that they had closed down and then they opened up, but I didn't hear that he closed again. I, so from what I know, it's 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 done. done. It's okay. done. I guess they had issues with like a landlord or something. like and that. And see, that's uh, the truth of what LA is. It's yeah. like you got to own the place that you're at, or else you're gone. Done. Uh, the blood cells in Fairfax. You know, I've tried it, and it, for some reason, I just didn't feel like it was the same as the original. Yeah. And so you know, and then there's all these pop ups. So do you consider yourself a pop up or a? Yeah, I or a street so. vendor. No, it's a pop up, I guess, because it's not like I set up every day or like every my my schedule sometimes. Again, because of work, my schedule sometimes is 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 different. Like it, it's not it's not a consistent thing. It's mainly like weekends. Yeah. But it's not like I'm out there like Monday through Friday like your like average taco dude in the street. And you run it straight off of IG. Yeah, pretty much. And like people put their orders and you take them in. Yeah. And it's 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 a way different commerce than a lot of other places. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. So I mean, I, to me, I, I'm always impressed by that. I'm like, you use the format that's been out there, and you're just doing way different things that you haven't done. Um, 
let me get to a question that I really wanted to ask you. How how does being a brown person affect you in this industry? Because we've known what this industry is, you know, like what what we think a pit master looks like uh -huh. or, you know, like uh, Latinos and Mexicanos are not you you never been seen as a as a pit master. No, it's I mean in in, in a sense it's kind of a uh, how do I say it, it, it's a ethnic thing I guess you could say like it's it's you would think I mean you would think it's mainly like an African-American thing or like if you're I mean it's mainly African-American or like if you're out in the south like you know some south dudes that are white or whatever yeah. but it's I mean if you think about it it's an ethnic thing it's a it's a it's a it's a food that's not necessarily I guess if you think about it I mean barbecues they do that all over the world yeah it's it's not you can't say i mean maybe for american barbecue you could think oh maybe it's a black dude you know some yeah dude that's like whatever like that but i mean you go to mexico and they do they they dig holes and they you know they barbecue what is it like barbacoa and all that stuff on the ground that's barbecue it's slow roasting it's cooking you know you go to what is it like some of the islands that they do that too like it's done all over the world to put to put an a face or an image on it is like kind of well i mean you but it does really it do does that. make i guess me proud that that there's a mexican there's, yeah. a, there's a mexicano pit master because i've yeah. never seen that i mean you know going to franklin's and, and tasting their food and and seeing how they came up with the, you know well, how he came up with all the idea how to do this and stuff like that what was the idea initially for you i mean i know i can consider you a pit master but i know originally i thought maybe were you just thinking hey i'm just gonna barbecue and invite some friends I have a like when it's one of those I have this thing where if I have an idea or if I have like a thought or something that's like stewing in there, I'll consistently keep thinking of it and thinking of it and thinking of it and thinking how I could change it, how I could do it, what can I do different? Like I it, it consumes me in a sense. So um how it all started kind of at the time I was going to to trade tech and I was actually studying to become an automotive technician, which I actually you know, finished all my courses and got my my um, certificates and all that because that's kind of like my main background. It's it's mainly all automotive. Like my dad had his shop in Venice for years. You know, he, he that was his his business and he was successful in that. So me being me, like I always looked up to my father. So I was like, I wanted to do what he liked, and I was following in his footsteps in a sense. But on the on the weekends, I would start doing like carnasadas. It was mainly just like your typical Mexican carnazada. It was, you know, just steaks and chicken and wings and whatnot, chorizos, all that. And in the process of doing that, like how you said, L.A. wasn't really known at the time for barbecue. Like if you think like barbecue, like, oh, I, mean, I got to go to Compton or I got to go to Inglewood. You got to go south of L.A. So I was like, you know what? Me having that mentality, I was like, I want to do my own. I'm going to try it and then just keep going. And, and I, and, you know, I messed up a lot of things, but, you know, I did with what I had. I had like a little Weber kettle uh, grill that I had. I had looked up online how to start doing like these things and methods. So I was like, OK, I'll set this thing up to cook indirect and and all that good stuff. And, and I, you know, I burned a lot of things in the process. I made things not how you're supposed to make them, but whatnot. But it, it literally all started just by doing that. And it just. It was a thing that just didn't stop. I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it until I finally worked my way up to like another grill, another smoker, and then finally to where it got to where I'm at now. 
but it literally started just with an idea that I couldn't let go. How, when did you consider saying like, okay, now I'm I'm done making food for the homies, and now I want to make it for everybody to taste? This I think started sometime in. I want to say I remember when I first got my smoker. The very first time I finished the smoker that 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 I have now. I remember it was on a 4th of July when I first fired it up. And I remember prior to that, it was still just like it, I had no intention to sell or anything. It was it was um, it was a typical like kind of boys will be boys things. You want bigger, better and, you know, crazier things. I had a little, you know, a little small uh, makeshift grill that I would use as a smoker that, you know, my fiance gave me at the time. And. I wanted something bigger so then that's when I got that smoker going I did that one you know then the idea was still not to sell I was just making it for myself and then finally like friends and family and then like my fiance was just like hey this is pretty good like why don't you sell it I'm like no, no I don't want to sell it like she's like come on you're not like a shy person like why would it and for some odd reason I just didn't want to I was just like no 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 then finally I had enough people bugging me to sell like food they were like hey dude you need to sell this stuff like this is good shit like you got something here you need to sell it i was like no no finally like every, after they pressured me and pressured me i'm like fine i'll do it and i and what i had done i um why well, didn't want to just like sit out there and say which i technically did do just sit out there in front of my house and start literally waving anybody down that was that was walking by I'm like, hey you want to buy barbecue hey you want to buy barbecue hey you want to bur buy a barbecue that's what i was doing but prior to that to kind of get the thing going I had invited um, a bunch of friends and I told them, I'm like, I'm going to feed you guys. I'm going to, you know, do all this thing that I'm experimenting with the barbecue, but I need every single one of you to take pictures of it and post it on social media. That way it gets the ball rolling and it just, it, it snowballed effect from it, there. I feel like, like when I heard about it, it was already late. No, it was I hear, and I hear about things like, Somebody will always text me like, yo, have you eaten here? Hey, have you eaten here? I have a couple of friends, you know, um, shout out to my friend Brendan out there. Uh, I, I work with this dude and he's always shouting out places that he's like, yo, man, you got to go eat at this place. You got to go eat. For some reason, you know, getting with um, the writers from LA Weekly, one of them was just like, yo, man, you got to. He sent me like a, a, a email because we didn't even have our numbers. Yeah. We just kind of got together whenever we had to do a story together. Yeah. He sent me an email saying, yo, you got to check this dude out. Mm -hmm. He's like, we were talking about it. And I didn't. I forgot the address or whatever. And he goes, "We got to check this guy out." And mm -hmm. he sent me another article. And I think it was a uh, LAist when that used to exist, the LAist thing. Okay. Yeah, he sent me one of those articles. There was also an article from Thrillist, and then there one, was man, there was so many. There was like so, Eater, Thrillist. Yeah, Eater, Eater. Um, and so then, um, by the time I found out about, it, I felt like it was already too late because it was already like a, a line. So I was like, "What the powers of social media? Sometimes, you know, when people are hungry, yeah, it goes a long way. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we have some stuff here in in, uh, in Highland Park, like Cena. That like once we heard about it, you know, there was never a time when we went and we didn't have to be in line. Uh -huh. You know, I think one time it was raining and people were in the, getting wet and they were yeah. just making a line because. You know, vegan Mexican food is rare. Yeah. And good vegan Mexican food is like rarer, rarer. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's like I'm like, man, you got brown people and white people <laughs> waiting in line for this thing. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's raining. So, you know, the power of social media, I think, can do a lot. But I think one thing is you use social media for what it was worth and you milk the crap out of it. Yeah. The other thing was like the food 
stood for itself. Yeah. And so that was a huge thing. Like green chorizo, I was like, oh, I don't know about this green chorizo. But then I was like, oh, that's good. And then your brisket, your ribs. And I was like, damn, this dude gets down. Yeah. And um, I think afterwards you had uh, some ladies come over and uh, side chicks do side dishes. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. are my friends. Yeah. So. And, and they, they and you see, that's the thing. They were like, again, like people some, like doing the whole underground thing. Like it sparked so much like i mean can you honestly say like prior to meeting me did you see a lot of this going on like on the street or, or people doing their own stuff i mean i saw people trying to sell stuff but it was always the typical stuff it's like the same people selling the hot dogs and no offense to them i mean yeah. the hot dogs at three in the morning are great but yeah. i don't go looking for hot dog and then you know the taco stands some taco stands are good and some are not but i never saw something like where somebody just set up a, a spot popped it up yeah. boom here's some barbecue here's something different that you don't yeah. get yeah and that's what i'm saying like not necessarily the taco guy not yeah. the hot dog person yeah like let's say if you were to say hey i'm gonna start selling i don't know paella yeah you know and then there's a paella guy or there's this guy you know like prior to that like i can honestly say the food scene wasn't no, no. i don't think so and I, and I don't think it was that adventurous and also that 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 sense of community because it's a cooperacha. Like yeah. you got your homegirls to come down and like do some side dishes. Yeah. And it was like a thing where you were like, your ego is not that big where you're like, Oh, I can't share the spotlight no. with these people. It's a community. And it's yeah. like, you brought women in to help you or to do things that they wanted to do on their own. Yeah. And then you guys all work together. And I thought that was brilliant to me. I was like, man, this is like, this is like how it should be. Like yeah, we should all help each other out. Cause the, the, she, my friend that does that, she's a friend of mine from like way back when, like we go back to like school and I guess she was just like, Hey dude, like I see what you're doing. She's like, I think it's so fucking cool. Like I, I kind of would like to do that. I'm like, well, I mean, if you want do your own thing and you know, just come over with me and set up with me. Like, I don't mind it. Like, I don't care. Dude, there's, there's, there's enough, there's enough on the table for everyone. Like I'm, I'm not, like you said, I'm not egotistical. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. Like I know where I stand and I don't need to to uh like, you know, turn it into like a pissing contest so to say. Definitely, definitely. How can we find the ladies? Are they on they IG? They have they have their IG. They're under broke times. <laughs> Out of I know. <laughs> Cuz that was her thing. I think she said she wanted to do something that was more aimed for like an affordable kind of thing. She wanted to do like affordable food, something that everybody can get, something that everybody can yeah, get and enjoy. I mean, just because it's street food, it doesn't have to be bad. And just yeah. because it's street food, it doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. So everybody should be allowed to eat. Um, how important you, do you think it's food is to our culture? I mean, you're Mexicano. I'm Central and South American. Uh -huh. I mean, to us, it's part of our identity. Well, yeah, because I mean, we have flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty I, much. I also think it dominates a lot of how um, we feel about when people try to recreate our food. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a no. It's and a I, no I don't me. feel like we're we're being snobby of it, but I feel like I I've heard before people saying I'm not paying seven dollars for a taco. I'm the I'm that guy. Where I can pay, <laughs> you know, where I can get a taco for a dollar that tastes better than this. But you know what? I I'm I'm that guy, but I can appreciate it if if it's if it's good but like for me i'm I, when it comes to certain thing i'm like a purist like even when it comes to like one like people know that like my side thing is like i love breakfast burritos that's i have like a heart on for them and i will when it comes to those i'm a purist i like them just the, the you know like your nice sloppy cheesy greasy bacon and egg and bacon and sausage burritos and i love them 
and don't mess with them. Don't don't make it any different because I won't like it. But that's just how I am with tacos too. Like just give me like some asada or some al pastor. Give me a good green sauce. Where's red where's sauce. the best breakfast burrito you get? Me, personally. See, I, I kind of when I when I kind of gauge something that I like, I, I, I'll go by. Well, obviously how it tastes. If it tastes good, it tastes good. Portion, and then like price wise, I take everything into consideration. Yeah, I don't just go by one thing. So there's this one spot that's not that far in LA. It's called Happy Taco. And I found that spot just, you know, when I was always on my way back home or two from Trade Tech because it was on Hoover. Fuck, I've gone there enough times to know where it's at. It's like on Hoover and Pico or like Hoover and Venice, somewhere around there. It's on a corner. It's across the street from a Jack in the Box. And and that, that, that spot, I found it just by like accident. And one time I stopped and I got a breakfast burrito. I was like, oh, shit, this thing is fucking good. So and anytime I, I, I tell people like they want one, I'm like, you know what? Nearby, that's the one. If, if I'm willing to travel, I'll go to like Lucky Boys in Pasadena. But it's just those two are like up there for me. You know, I, I heard a story one time of like this infamous breakfast burrito that the Beastie Boys, when they came to California, they set up shop in Atwater. And, you know, they had this like a uh, studio where they did all their, you know, their albums. Um, and there was a story about this like, mom and pop's place where this abuelita was making uh breakfast burritos uh via corona yeah and it was funny because i went one time and there was a fucking line and i was like damn and it was so early but i was i was thinking like are is la a culture that we will travel and make lines for for stuff if whether it's good or not just because somebody told us uh you know what i'm i i I don't know i'm i'm kind of weird i'm in a sense, I'm spoiled and I'm I, I'm a very I like everything to be easy. And I know my fiance is always telling me like, dude, you can't have everything the easy way. Like, yeah, it, but I, I'm spoiled. I, I like having convenience. I like having everything being somewhat easy because maybe my whole life, that's how I've had it. Yeah. So I don't like driving too far for things. I don't like making line. I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm I, I feel like <laughs> with having um having people tell you like this is the best stuff ever like i'll try it uh-huh. but sometimes i feel like a lot of the things that people think are amazing is a lot of hype and people can't think for themselves yeah and i think everybody like you know i you know going into and, and seeing your setup i was like damn this dude is straight doing it out of his front porch yeah um and you know you you had a system you had you know your your things your preparations you were wearing gloves everything was like really kosher and really professional for like you know i thought it was going to be just you like grabbing things with your hands and like i mean it, it seemed like just a very clean and professional operation which made me think like okay i'm, I'm i'll eat this yeah you know sometimes i get snobby too and i was like when i look at somebody grab things with their hands oh, yeah. and then grab something else i'm like nah that's dirty i'm not eating that yeah. nasty taco but uh i there was something about walking up to your place like First, not being able to get it the first time. Two, the second time, not making it because it was already sold yeah. out. And then uh, there was something about the aura of, of like your business and how I was like, this must be good because people are willing to wait this long. Yeah. And it was hot, you know, and it's a Saturday morning. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the time where like people are just basically work, w- waking up or rather go to brunch, you know, yeah. and, and you had men and women. Yeah. You know, waiting in there. And so that that to me was like, okay, there's something here. 
Where like in, like when I went to the taco pl- that burrito place in Atwater. Yeah. You know, I made the line, and then afterwards I was like, man, this is this is not worth it. And it I feel like, who is this for? And it I thought, well, it's not for me. And I and and that's the kind of thing about food that I feel that. It, and and with that, I kind of want to go into how the city's changing for certain people and how I feel like in a ways it's not in some ways it's not for us anymore. Yeah. You know, and that has a lot to do with like gentrification, you know, oh, like yeah. how our neighborhoods are changing. And I know that you come from a neighborhood. What would you call your neighborhood? It's it, you know what? It's a weird border where I'm at because some people call it Koreatown and then it, it also borders uh, what they call historic Filipino town. Yeah. So I'm like somewhere in the middle. Like yeah, I'm I, on the border. I, I feel like Westmoreland Temple and I don't know if it's called what is it called? Like Silver Lake Boulevard. Oh yeah. And then you got Silver Lake. Yeah, and I feel like you're at a you're at a weird crossroad apex of like different neighborhoods I sort think, of like I think I've even together. heard that area be referred to as Rampart Village. Yeah, I heard that too, but you're not in, in the area that's considered ramp. I think you're at the outskirts of it. I feel like you're at yeah. the armpit of a lot of I'm different you, neighborhoods. I'm like on the border. How <laughs> have you seen your neighborhood change through gentrification? Oh, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. And rents going up. Uh, everything's gone up right there. Like it, It's changed a bit. I mean, I think the only positive I would say that has that has come out of that is that it's like slightly safer. But I mean, at what cost? Yeah. At what cost? Because I mean, nobody ever messed with me in my neighborhood, so I can say like, take me back to pre-gentrification. I never once felt in danger or anything because everyone knew me, everyone knew my family, and there was a certain level of respect there. Yeah, like people knew. Like if you grow up in an area like that, the same, you know, knuckleheads or gangbangers or whatever that are in that area, they respect the people that live there. There's yeah. a level of respect there. They won't mess with you. They won't rob you or they won't any of that. So yeah, yeah. Was I safe, you know, in the early 90s? I never felt endangered there. Yeah. You know, there was a drive-by or two, but, I mean, thinking, oh, am I going to get mugged out here? I ne- That never crossed my mind. But now it's, like, totally different. Now it's, like, that That was never in the back of my head. It never, it wasn't now still, but, like I'm saying, like, some people think, oh, well, it's safer now. Yeah, but at what cost? And I feel like, and I said this before, uh, if you're going to move into a neighborhood, acclimate yourself to be part of the neighborhood instead yeah. of right away. Kind of change I, it. I feel like we had this conversation before. Yeah. You know, the original version of, of this, of being Brown LA was a video series that I was working on. Yeah. And you were one of the first people that I sort of interviewed and tested on. Yeah. Uh, and we had this conversation where we were talking about, like, there's people that move into the neighborhood and right away want to change the way the neighborhood works. Yeah. Or what people do in the neighborhood. Yeah. Where it's like, I know that sometimes we will wake up on Saturday morning because people are playing music. Yeah. And that's probably what they were doing 10 years ago before we moved here. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you know, it's the neighborhood and it's the sounds of the neighborhood, but I got to be part of this. No, yeah. And in, and in some terms, you know, like when we talked as, as neighbors, you know, we're able to say, hey, you know, we got woken up by your music. And it wasn't as a hostile thing. It was like, yeah, you know, this, this, and that. And the guy's like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. I just wake up sometimes and I want to party. Yeah. And, you know, but you guys are always welcome to come to the house or whatever. So it, w- it was like an understanding that it's like, this is how the neighborhood is and you just got to be okay with it. Yeah. 
uh, or live through it. Uh, if not, you know, maybe this is not your neighborhood. Yeah, well, you came to me. Yeah. I didn't come to you. And so it's like, then I hear other people that have moved into, like, you know, surrounding neighborhoods around here. And they were like, oh, you know, there's there's chickens and there's stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah but the chickens have been here for a while, man. Like, yeah. They've had chickens here forever. You just got here. Yeah. You, you just moved into here. Like, I'm sure people don't want to live next to... Uh, a new arcade bar that makes a lot of noise that yeah. brings people that are not from the neighborhood mm -hmm. in and think this is a party town yeah. or or like their Disneyland where they can do whatever they want and then they go back to their own home. Not going to happen. So it's like that's the thing that I feel like if you're going to come to a new neighborhood and this neighborhood is predominantly brown or black or Asian, you have to acclimate and not complain about the things that have been here well, before yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you can better them. You can better your street. You can pick up trash you can better your own house you know you, you can help a neighbor who's having problems trying to fix their house yeah. but you can't change the way things are because you want the value of your home to be more or because you don't like it or because you don't like it like, and i you know i, I want to listen to spanish music yeah you don't like spanish music well you know well i'm not gonna listen to it now because you don't like it yeah and it's the other thing too it's like i remember um spike jones spike lee saying that his dad, you know, lives in Greenpoint and, you know, in Brooklyn. And his dad used to play the saxophone, you know, like, you know, during the middle of the day. Yeah. Because he was a saxophone player. Mm -hmm. And people started calling the police on him. People that had just moved to the neighborhood started calling the police on him. Yeah. And he was saying, like, my dad's been playing the saxophone forever in that neighborhood. Yeah. Around the same time. Yeah. And nobody ever called the cops on him until new people started moving in. Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to be part of the neighborhood, you have to accept the fact that there's going to be noises that you're not like, you know? Yeah. No, I've, I've gotten into, like, already a few situations where, you know, I've, I've had to tell people that are new to the neighborhood, like, you need to check yourself. Like, you, you can't just come here and, and think, oh, just because you don't like this, it's not going to, like, it's not going to stop because you don't like it. I remember there was this, this, this dude that's been coming to my neighborhood, like, forever, for years, for years, that sells tamales. He comes in a little station wagon, friendliest, friendliest dude ever friendly as hell he always even gives you like extra if you buy three he'll give you four or he'll throw in a champurrado or whatever and i guess somebody didn't like that he comes at around nine or ten saying tamales and they're like oh hey be quiet like first of all it's nine o'clock ten o'clock you should be up already or you know whatever it's not like he's blasting house music really loud or or heavy metal music or something that's like i mean i'm not saying that's annoying to some people that's what they like but i mean you would think something that's very loud or whatnot is what yeah I'm we have a house bro down the street who just blast house yeah so it's just like i mean that would probably piss me off maybe i don't know to each their own but the dude's trying to make a living and he's been coming here for years so just because he says tamales 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 up and down the block like you're gonna come out and tell him to shut up no you got me fucked up like that dude's super nice and maybe he was like oh well, i'm sorry and there was actually a time we'd say oh I'll come later in the day i'm like no you don't gotta come later in the day and I had to tell people and like some people, they were a little confrontational and some people would just stay quiet. And then some people would say, oh, well, we're sorry. We didn't mean it that way. You know, it's like, no, it's not going to happen. I think it's more annoying that people show up to people's houses and honk the horn instead of calling them and saying, hey, come on yeah. down. I'm here to pick you up. Yeah. Then somebody saying like if you already know that at nine o'clock, the tamale guy is going to go up. That's my alarm clock. That could be like, <laughs> yo, you got to wake up. Yeah. It's nine o'clock, motherfucker. Yeah. Or oh, I got to get up and get those tamales before this food leaves. Yeah. Or just be like, this is the neighborhood that I moved into. Yeah. 
because it's been happening forever. Like the dude didn't show up for one day and be like, no. oh, I'm going to show up to this one random street. No, no, they have a, a system. They go to their routes. They're just like any commerce. They have yeah. their usual ways of doing things. Yeah. And I think if you can't handle that, then maybe that's not where you need to be. Yeah. And by all means, like maybe you like the spot that you're at or maybe that's all you can afford. Well, that's how you live. You know, I mean, I find it annoying when I was in, you know, Hollywood that I would hear people driving in with their, you know, music and being really loud at three o'clock in the morning because they just came from a club. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't live there anymore. Yeah. Because that was annoying to me. Yeah. If you want peace and quiet, go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, that's my, like, like I tell my lady, my ultimate dream is to live like somewhere in the woods where I don't have to hear shit. Yeah. But then there's also noises there. Yeah. So you kind of just have to deal with whatever you you're given. And yeah. I think this city is so uh, diverse by force and also diverse by just nature. Yeah. Um, that we have to learn how to live with each other. And it's like, yeah, man, I don't I don't like Banda. I'm not a Banda music fan. Yeah. But I know that in this neighborhood, people will play Banda music. Yeah. And that's just the deal, the thing that I have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I hear Banda music coming from my neighbor, um, he's probably having a good time. Yeah. And it, he's on one. <laughs> and, and and it's better to have people happy in the neighborhood than, than have angry, angry people. You yeah. know, like that to me, it's like, you know, when you get those times where I come out of the house sometimes and it's really quiet, I'm like, oh, shit, something's going down. Something's off. Yeah. Especially when car drives by. You know, we all know that tall tale when a car drives by, no, no lights, lights, real quiet. Yeah. You're like, fuck, get in the house. What's up with this person? Exactly. I, I, I'll trust a guy in a truck with his music because I know that, all right, he's going home yeah. or he's going to work yeah. or something good is happening. But when a car drives by and it's quiet. Why are you trying <laughs> to be so stealthy? <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, I don't know about the sneaky stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and with that, let's talk about misconceptions. You and me both are, you know, stocky guys. We got tattoos. Uh -huh. We were blessed with the brownness that God yeah. gave us. What's the biggest misconception when people see you? Um, honestly, I guess I've, I've never really fully felt discriminated in a sense. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm very optimistic about things. I'm very, like how you said, like in a sense, I'm a very cheerful person. People like me. I'm a very likable person. So nobody's ever come at me sideways, so to say. I think the only time that I can honestly remember that I felt racially profiled or anything like that was i remember when i was still in high school and i wanted to buy a car and we went to fuck i forgot where we went to with my dad and we went to go check this car out and we're waiting for the guy to come out it was a nice area and we're parked outside and we're just like hey we're here da 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 you know come out okay i'll come out and these people kept looking out of their house and I'm like oh, whatever i didn't think anything of it again like i'm in my teens i don't care like nobody's ever really racially profiled me so to say and then they come out and I was like, okay, are these the people selling the car? And they're like, oh, what are you guys doing here? I'm like, we're waiting for, you know, a certain person. Oh, what car? Like, asking all these questions. I'm like, who, who the fuck are you asking me all these things? Like, why do you want to know? Oh, it's because uh, you guys look very suspicious. I'm like, how do we look suspicious? We're... Because you're brown. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know that. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of a stupid thing. Like, if you think something is dangerous why would you go towards it why would you confront it like if there's a fire i'm not gonna go investigate in the building why is this building fire no i'm going away from the fucking fire yeah i i never caught that either why 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 do they i i feel like there's a there's a lot of times where i've walked into a place and there's there's the looks there's the follows uh-huh and it's like 
I get it. You know, someone sees me and says, oh, this guy, he's going to steal. Yeah. And and after a point, I'm like, yo, if you think I'm going to steal, that's fine. Yeah. But following me now makes it way more obvious and much more offensive. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, there's times where I've walked out of somewhere, you know, and people look at me and they're like, <gasps> you know, like I've seen people like be stunned and not know how to deal with it. I walked by people that I waved at and said, hey, that don't even look at me. That just look straight. Almost like they were, they're, you know, walking by a dangerous animal or something that scares or you don't them. Even exist. And they're like, oh, if I just keep looking straight, I, I, I it won't. It never happened. And then like, <laughs> <laughs> if you only knew, you know, I, I mean, yeah, physically, I don't know if I'm intimidating. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I boxed for many years and, and, uh, and maybe I have structure in my body that uh-huh. shows. But I think like, my my demeanor is not that of a violent person or anything it's just a guy i do i am brown and i do have a bunch of tattoos and and sometimes you know i'm wearing glasses and you can't really see my eyes and you don't know what i'm looking at but it it doesn't mean that i'm threatening and i think the biggest misconception sometimes when people see brown skin tattoos is that right away it's like something aggressive and stuff like that and and um you know the funny thing is like looking at you uh-huh. kind of reminds me of me but then i also remember that you're a huge cat lover and, <laughs> and when i went to your house you talked to your cat like it was your child yeah I and i was like if people <laughs> saw this motherfucker right now <laughs> you know if they saw us in the street they'd be like oh no and then if they saw you at home with your cat they'd be like oh what like you oh, like cats this dude's this is really into this cat and then you had two right <laughs> two yeah yeah uh, I think I got close and personal with uh, Mochi. One of them, yeah. Yeah, and she she jumped into my uh, my interview bag with my lenses and stuff yeah, like that. And typical she, cat. They she made it her home. She's like, yeah. She's like, oh, this is a nice sofa you brought me. Thank yeah. you. And she just laid all up in there, which I had to take all the cat hair afterwards. But I'm yeah, a little bit used to that. Um, uh-huh. uh, we have a cat here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, you yeah. told me. Um, so it's funny that <laughs> when I saw you interacting with your cat, I was like, this, this, is <laughs> this dude really thinks it's a child. <laughs> this, this is hilarious. And then you told me the story that you were missing your cat when you were on a trip. Oh, yeah. We went to, um, we had gone to Guadalajara in October, like last October. And yeah, like, bullshit you not. Like, we were like, damn, I wonder what the cats are doing right now. <laughs> like, we were even thinking, like, damn, we should probably put like cameras inside just to see what they're doing. Typical cat daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because I think that, um, the more it, that uh, I have friends that are outside my circle, that the more that it's better that I can break those misconceptions up. Uh-huh. And, you know, what I want people to understand and what this is for is is that I, I want people to sort of, like, break those misconceptions up and just realize that we're just like everybody else. Yeah. We just grew up in a city that was really hard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we had to look hard or sometimes we had to be hard. Oh, yeah. Um, but the tattoos... Uh, our expression of ourselves and this is who we are this is who the city is and if you grew yeah. up in the city this is who you became but like we're educated we're entrepreneurs we're smart mm-hmm. we love cats let's talk about identity because okay. um there's a huge difference between you know us and other people but there's also a difference between chicano mexicano and me what do you identify yourself as i guess chicano i mean obviously i'm not I wasn't born in Mexico, so I can't say I'm Mexican. I'm a Mexican citizen. I have double nationality. 
but I was born here. So I'm first generation Mexican American. So technically, I guess you could say I'm Chicano. And I, I'm Latino, but you know, my mom's from Guatemala and my dad's Brazilian. So we have, you know, a bit of differences. Yeah. In some worlds, people will look at us and be like, the same. We're all Mexicans. We're all Mexicans. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it's a little bit different of prospect because I, I grew up, you know, in the city, which is a heavy Mexican city, mm-hmm. as a Central American kid. And I think there was like conflicts, and there was like also other misconceptions between us and and when we were when I was a kid with other kids, and so they were didn't understand what part of Mexico I was from, or they didn't know yeah. why I looked like like this or yeah. what I didn't. And so, and I think the concept of Afro Latino was really far, far from what a lot of Mexican kids growing up here could understand because a lot of them grew up among themselves, you know? Uh-huh. Um, what, what do you think, uh, why do you think there was so much friction with Mexicans and Central Americans? I never fully got into that because honestly, like I never really, I mean, I always had like Salvadorian friends, Guatemalan friends, because like, like you said, like the neighborhood I grew up in, it was predominantly mexican when my parents were there but as i started growing up you know i guess around the time that like what was it there was a civil war in el salvador 80s. so there was a lot yeah I'm, I'm from 86 yeah so early 90s 86 you're getting a lot of you know influx of different people from all over the place yeah so the neighborhood where i'm at started to become more you know with central american uh you got like the salvadorian guatemalan hondureños uh nicaragua all that stuff so it started to be a little bit more of a mixed neighborhood. So I never really like fully had like that conflict or whatever. Like, yeah, you would hear people talk, you know, like, Oh, Mexicans and Salvies don't get along and whatnot. But I mean, uh, not every Salvadorian is bad. Not every Mexican is bad. You know, it's like, there's no really no, I don't see why we should have conflict amongst ourselves, you know? Yeah. And and I feel like maybe the virtue of your neighborhood kind of helped out too, because I feel like, you're in the middle of a lot of different yeah. things happening. Um, you know, Pico and Union became like a very stronghold for Central Americans. Yeah, that's like, like little Salvador That's right where there. everybody went to run away with. Like, they were like, oh, we can't be over here. We, you know, we can't be near Venice. Yeah. You know, and so, it, and, and it's also one of the reasons why I think like the misconception of people thinking that MS-13 came out of El Salvador when it didn't. It yeah. happened here. Uh-huh. You know, it was, you know, Mexican gangs were beating up Central Americans and this all happened. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up in an environment in Midtown where um, nobody was king. It, it was like there was a big Mexican gang and there was a big presence, but there was a lot of Central Americans still roaming around. And I go, went to, you know, L.A. High and L.A. High was mixed. It was like Mexican, brown, black. everything black. Yeah. We had a lot of Filipino. Uh-huh. And then there was a certain point where we had a lot of Korean. Yeah. Uh, I think now, I think maybe the school is 50% Korean. But yeah. at the time, it was like a melting pot. So you would come across everybody. I mean, I think the mi- minority at LA High was white, but there was some white. Um, but, I mean, it, it was easier to grow up where, like, if you had a pack of friends, yeah. there, was a, there was somebody who was Mexican, somebody who was Salvadorian, somebody who was Filipino, somebody who was, like, you know, black, and somebody who was Guatemalan, and yeah. so forth. Uh, we got some Nicas that came in sometimes, some Nicaraguans. Uh-huh. 
and the rare thing was Hondureños. I like I don't think I've had any maybe one Hondureño friend in I had the whole a few. time. Well, yeah. there was a few that lived in my neighborhood too, so Yeah. Okay. See? That's how I knew them. Yeah. So and and but then I also would hear like other people saying like, "Oh yeah, like you know, Central Americans are like this." And I was like, "No, man, like I don't I don't know where you got that from." But yeah. like and I get the beefs and everything, but I'm I'm sort of glad that I grew up in an environment where like yeah, everybody was was able to sort of coexist. Yeah. There was some strife and some un- misunderstanding, but I think for the most part, we sort of like were able to do that. I mean, tacos are not a thing that Central Americans really have, but uh-huh. you can't tell me that there's no Central Americans who don't like tacos. Oh, shit, no. You know, and then pupusas became so popular, like, I, you know, yeah. everybody eats them, like everybody who's brown, like every other, th- we kind of embraced all their things um, in the major parts, but I do remember friends who would, you know, and I've had this conversation with other people before that who would, would not tell other people that they weren't Mexican because they didn't want to feel left out. Okay. And that happened a lot. And I feel like um, nowadays, I think everybody's so proud of their identity that. Oh, yeah. Now everybody wants to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican. This, I'm this, I'm, this yeah. I'm that. Yeah. And I think like uh, in L.A., it's like, you know, when when other people see us, they're just like, oh, look at all those Mexicans. Yeah. <laughs> and so I. um that's one of the biggest things that I feel like there's there's so much misconception about us being individuals and having our own identity. And I think it's great that we can do that now. Uh-huh. Um, but I also like to think that the brown people in L.A. are one whole group as well sometimes. As you should. know, Because we're, we're sort of being bombarded by real issues. One is, you know, we're getting gentrified out of neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. Two, you know, we are not uh, being cared by in the educational system and it's not because of the teachers they're doing a great job yeah. it's because of the systems yeah you know schools that are in those predominant you know brown neighborhoods don't get the care don't get the money don't get the assistance i mean there's all these after school programs but i think we need a little bit more yeah especially with parents who may work all day yeah and are doing whatever they can to survive because they don't have the great jobs they don't have the immigrant and a lot of these immigrants too like if people don't know this a lot of the people that came to America and are doing these immigrant jobs and are immigrants are people that in their own country had an education, mm-hmm. but it doesn't transfer here. Yeah, no, it doesn't. So it's like they had to start from the bottom up in their 30s or in their 40s, yeah. which is rough. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's the one thing that I love that now is happening where like every group I see, you know, you have a mixture of different people in it. You don't have just the, your, oh, I only hang out with Mexicans. Yeah. I think there's still some Chicanos that are sort of like purists and they're like, oh, you don't want to stand because you're Central American. And I'm like, ah, come and on. And there's probably like some Salvadorians that are hardcore Salvadorian. And they like, don't want to mix with Mexicans. Yeah. And so it happens a lot. And I feel like I think that at this point, the one thing that I love that you did with your barbecue spot that I think that everybody should start doing is like you incorporate everybody. Yeah. It's a community. Yeah. Or else we're not going to succeed. No, yeah. It's exactly. going to suck for all of us, you know, because there's always somebody who's trying to take us out and they don't care where country we're from. Yeah. They don't really associate to that. Um, how important is cars in our culture? Well. And I know you're big on this, so. In, in our culture in general, I think, well, SoCal, Southern California itself is very big in the car scene. Like, anything that becomes popular around, I mean, even the world. Like, you got people in Japan that are deep into lowriders and deep into the, like, Chicano image. Like, you look at them, 
They're like dressed with Charlie Browns, you know, Dickies or Ben Davis. They're wearing Cortez. They're bald. They want to have that. What, what are Charlie Browns? For, for oh, who don't know. Charlie Browns are kind of like, a, how do I describe it? It's almost like a knit shirt, kind of like a polo knit shirt kind of thing. And it could have like a multicolor. Like it could, the main ones are like two tone brown or like the Raider color silver the and black. black. And silver. <laughs> the typical ones. If you if you guys ever want a reference of that, um, watch the movie Colors. Oh yeah. Uh, of, Froggy, I think he had, Frog. Frog, yeah, he had he had he used to wear those a lot in that movie. Um, it's got Sean Penn in it and uh, some other people. Um, it's uh, it's funny because like L.A. is a very car town. Yeah, you know, from the moment that we lost a red car, they would take us everywhere, and they, you know, the the tire companies put in the freeways. Mm-hmm. We became a car town. Yeah, everything was drive here, drive there, and cars were very important. Yeah, but. As far as I remember, when I was a kid, because I used to build model cars. Yeah, me too. Is lowriders yeah. were the most elaborate things driving around the city. Yeah. Uh, you know, cruising Whittier Boulevard. Hollywood. Hollywood. Crenshaw. Um, Crenshaw. And in every of these neighborhoods, I mean, people just kind of, like, they did it. And it was about, like, how far can you take it and how it elegant it could be. Yeah. And like, some of these cars were like, you know, they found them in different, you know, places and they weren't really well. And I mean, they were immaculate from the from the bottom up. Yeah, you could like they were immaculate. I mean, you could pretty much eat off of these things. That's how clean some of these cars are. And it's like a passion. Well, it is because a part of it is like how you said it's, a, it's how like how you individualize yourself from everyone. Like a car is an extension of you or who you are. Like, I mean, if you're. Let's say if you're a guy that likes to lift weights and, you know, be a big old bro guy, you're probably going to have a lifted truck with like mud tires on it. And, you know, that okay, that guy, yeah, that car fits him. You know, if you're like a Mexican-American dude or like me or whatever, I mean, we all have different flavors or whatnot. But, you know, you're going to I'm going to have a car that's going to extend or be an, uh, an extension of who I am. Like I like classic stuff. I like stuff that looks classy. I like older stuff. I like things from the 50s, 60s, 70s. So that's going to show in what I drive or what I like. Then you got like maybe the younger guys that are like, oh, you know, they like fast cars. They're, you know, they're going to be into their little tuner cars. They're going to be into, you know, Japanese cars or, or German cars. You know, it, 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 it's it's different. Everyone is different in their own sense. I think with lowriders, one of the, the biggest things that I used to love is that it, it also became past the whole individuality of the car. It became a sense of style and image. And, and that all that image, or at least how my understanding of like early lowriders, how they started, this was like stuff from like the 40s and 50s when you had like Pachucos back then, how they dressed. They had these elaborate suits. They weren't just an average suit. They were suits that were draping, Iconic. draping coats, you know, tapered pants, the hat. The, it was it was style. And you transfer that again, like how you individualize yourself. You can't. You can't dress like that and have a, a basic car. So, and it also goes back to sometimes you work with what you have. So, if you had a certain car and you want it to fit your image, then you you know you work with what you got. If you already have a car, you know, paint it a certain way. You lower it. You add a little. Ex- you, back then, you had all kinds of accessories that were added to the car. So the car fit the pachuco. Yeah, exactly. You, it's one and one. You're one with your car. You're one with your suit, and that was your image. You're the Chicano. Pachuco, lowrider. It was it the extension of who you were. It all goes I mean, into who you I are. I mean, I feel like even with the 
the additive of the paint jobs, the paints were very unique for that time. They weren't, you know, factory colors. They were, they were like apple, you know, like apple green or like this cherry pearls. red or pearls. The silver flakes, the gold flakes. I yeah. mean, it was like an extension of like a personality. Like, you know, like you said, you know, you work with what you got. You know, they got these older cars and they took them out of like obscurity where they were breaking down. Hand downs. And they made them into like these beautiful pieces of art. The paints, they learn how to paint themselves and they learn how to chrome things up so yeah. they can just kind of work on things and make it just a little bit more unique. Like, it was almost a way to like flex on people. Like, yeah. look at this color I came up with. Like, yeah. look at this green that has these speckles of sparkle. Or look how low around. I have my car. Yeah. And how did they get it low back well, then? The, back then, what they would do, I guess, they would, um, they would either take the springs out in the front, cut, cut like a few turns of the springs from the suspension or... If you were to just heat the coil, the heat just collapses it and your front comes down. And, and let me just tell you, that's no joke because I, you know, I used to have a 68 Mustang uh -huh. and those coils are super dangerous to take off. Oh, yeah. They would if just you don't know explode what you're in doing, your face. Yeah. It could kill you. So these fools were like, they were really learning how to do things that were kind ingenuity. of not a thing that you were taught at school. No. Or, so like I said, heat the springs, cut them. Or, and then in the rear, they would do either like throw sandbags or cement to weigh it down to lower it. So then before you know it, you have like this nice low car. This was like pre-hydraulics or like the poor man's hydraulics, you know. But once hydraulics started coming in, you know, you had people that were that were using, you know, surplus um, aircraft hydraulics. You know, this was all like after the war and stuff. So you have all this surplus hydraulics. Somebody came about to like, you know. I'm going to grab this landing gear off of this fighter jet and put it into the car, and that's going to raise and lower my car. That's crazy. The things that... Ingenuity, come, man. Yeah. When, when, Again, when you work with what necessity, you Necessity, yep. right? That's awesome. Uh, another thing that I, that I, you know, wanted to sort of talk about is, like, the importance of car clubs. Uh-huh. Why do you think that people just started putting... I mean, they're not gangs. They're no. just people that really love their cars. And yeah. What, what was the importance of these car clubs? Because the way I, I started to, you know, when I get to know people that are in car clubs, the way that I started to understand them is that they're almost like families. Yeah. It's it's pretty much, it's a it's a place where, where, where like, you feel you where you belong, where you feel you're with like-minded people. And like you said, before you know it, you get this bond with them that you probably don't even have with your own family sometimes. And a lot of times, you know, that was done for that reason or also it was done for, um, you know, for also just to say that you're in a club, you know, just like how you said, just to say you're a part of something. Yeah. If a certain club has a name already or like that, that already recognition, you want to be a part of something. You want to be a part of that. But I think in, in also within families, there were there were people that were like, OK, this dude knows how to do this and that dude knows yeah. how to do that. You help each other. And out. it was like another community. It was like I feel like. As brown people, even when we're in clubs, we're trying to find our own communities. And, yeah. and I, I love the fact that everybody was like, sort of what you do mm -hmm. is like, okay, let's all kind of get together. You'll do this and I'll do this. Yeah. And, and you, everybody in the club knows like a paint guy yeah. or an upholstery guy. Or a guy that does sound systems. Sound, the other guy that does electrical. Everything. Yeah. And so like, that's how the whole club can get, you know, get, get more flex out of their cars because yeah. they're all helping each other out to do yeah. it. And it's another sense exactly. of community. I think one of our biggest issues with us is like trying to find community and trying to sort of make the best of what we can. Yeah. And I think it's almost like, you know, being Dodger fans, like no matter what, you guys are all going to be in it together. Yeah. And we're going to help each other out. Exactly. 
What What are you driving? I have, uh, I have two cars right now. One car is a '65 Impala. That that convertible. That's how I actually got the name for my barbecue thing, because ragtop is slang for convertible, like in in the car scene. So when when we were doing that, like as far as damn, what do I call my barbecue? What do I call my barbecue? And there was an old forum. I don't even know if people still use forums now. <laughs> I think they do. There's still there's still a Reddit. It's it's yeah. rare. Like yeah. now with social media, like you don't need like before you needed it, you would go to forums to find out where like we would use a forum that was called Leitlo. And that was like for lowriders from all over the world in the country. So you know you had your california sections they'd be like okay well where is this car club gonna host this or or where are we gonna have this car show or they would have classifieds you know you everything you needed to find out pre like instagram facebook twitter and all that was done through those forums yeah and my screen name on there was i was like well, what do i call myself i'm like oh, fuck it ragtop fern and i was just like well that name stuck and that was like your little name online so i just transferred that name over to what i did and i had that and it's never changed. And it's never changed. And that's how, like, I'm known online. <laughs> but what's your new car, though? I saw oh, the something other one? new. Yeah, that one. When I first started getting into lowriders when I was a kid, I've always liked what they refer to as bombs, which is, like, pre... I mean, if you want to get, like, super technical, it's, like, pre-54 and under. So anything from the 30s, 40s to mid-50s, they would be considered i mean mainly chevrolet or gm vehicles would be considered bombs because that's what you do in the lowrider scene you're not going to call like a, a 50s ford shoebox a bomb because it's, it's not a bomb that's more like of a hot rod style a custom style it's mainly the gms like the the pontiacs chevrolets those are mainly you know the ones that they call bombs and the one that i got now is a 48 chevy Fleetline, and I've, I was always into those when I was a kid because I just always liked the lines. The lines just flow. It's just, it's a very almost like a voluptuous car. It's big. It has lines. It has curves. It's just, it's an elegant look. Something that you don't have with modern cars. They just, they don't have that character. You look at a new Honda or Toyota or whatever. It's just, a, it's a car. There's nothing to it. It's so plain. And these older cars just have more style, more character, more more everything and i was always into that as a kid you know the the car culture and the lowrider culture is not specific to la but it did have a lot of roots here and um you know you know you can see them in texas you can see them in arizona you can see yeah. them in different places but the when you were talking about japan the major factor that attribute to why japanese are, are really into uh, lowriders a lot of them have said that it came from L.A. It yeah. came from visiting L.A. and watching this, these cars go by and seeing how these dudes were dressed. I mean, even the tattoo culture in Japan has changed to the point where, like, there's Japanese people that have, like, jailhouse-style tattoos. Chicano-style Chicano tattoos, yeah. tattoos on them. Yeah. And um, there's Chicano, what they actually call Chicano rappers in Japan yeah. and Chicano in rappers Japanese. in Japan. In Japanese. <laughs> and it's like, you know... And they have names like Sad Girl yeah. and uh, Mousy. They, they and really adopt the whole sleepy. culture. I know. It's like, uh, I just think about like when I was a kid and I was making these model cars and like friends would have 
Teenager magazines. And if yeah. you guys don't know what Teenager magazines are, were these magazines about that was pre 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 social media. This is pre social. This is like the uh, printed social media, social media of the car culture, the maybe the cholo culture, maybe gang the culture. Southern color, the gang culture. Uh, you would have these pictures of these people in dickies and white shirts and beautiful cars. You had letters from jail yeah. with these the most beautiful art. I mean, jailhouse art is in its own way, its own genre, it's because I feel thing. like these guys created a whole thing where like now Mr. Cartoon, tattoo artist, yeah. you know, his style is so like, oh, you know, it costs us much money to get a tattoo from him. Yeah. But at that time, this stuff was coming out of this. Yeah. You know, Teenager had in the back had all these like dedications for, you know, girlfriends from dudes and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember people would collect them like and it was just the funniest thing. It's like looking at those magazines because I still have, you know, one around one and I have two. friends that have some. And then looking at the culture in Japan. Yeah. It's like they went back in time. It's and a they, time capsule. Yeah. And they take it so serious, serious that it is not a joke like they to the t there's mm-hmm. no pretending or half-assing on the on the chicano cult, and it's a culture that's being sort of cultivated over yeah. there in japan which i'm yeah. so amazed by i'm like all the people to love the chicano culture <laughs> i would have never things. thought japanese yeah. people would be like that's awesome let me take that boom yeah you know um and so i think like that kind of shows you that it's something that's sort of changing and going around the world um it's almost like jazz was very popular in in you know France, and yeah. it wasn't you know black artists weren't considered anything here in America, but uh-huh. in France they were loved and cared for, and you know they had gigs and they were making good money and they were accepted as much as possible. Um, do you think our culture is changing here now that we're sort of becoming a melting pot? That they're, I mean, is LA going to keep its culture? I think this goes back kind of like how you were saying earlier that I think now people are probably getting more um, in acceptance or kind of wanting to push that image of this is who I am and they're being more proud of it as opposed to kind of like shying away from it or, or hiding it in a sense. Now it's like it's 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 almost even trendy if you think about it to say like, oh, look, I'm I'm Chicano or I'm all this or I'm all that. And oh, I'm ethnic. Like it's it's a little trendy. Yeah. But you could kind of tell who's really you know that person and who's really just trying to put up a front but i mean and in the, at the end of the day like I, I i don't knock it like everyone's trying to get their thing out there everybody's trying to be an individual and everybody as long as you're proud of who you are and where you come from like more power to you and, and i feel like we're at a good point right now like we're supposed to be more educated than we were before a lot of people are woke we recognize everybody's different things and to me i always think like every color is you know is beautiful that I can see every color. Yeah. Um, you know, I have family members that are Mexican. I have family members that are Central American and other cultures. And so to me, it's like, I love the fact that I have those worlds in my life because it, it does make me who I am. And I'm not your typical brown person. And, you know, th- there's been criticisms of people saying like, oh, you're not brown enough or you don't know our history. And, and then I have to tell people like, well, I'm Central American. And they're like, oh, never mind. Or, yeah. And so it's like, it's like, man, we got to start accepting ourselves, but it's okay to be who you are. Yeah. And I think this, we're at the right time, like having to see people, you know, and lowriders and do this stuff. But to me, it's almost like a sense of pride. Like, that's awesome. Like that culture still prevailed. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it is becoming harder and harder to get these older cars. 
and expensive and expensive and it's and it's now to me a form of art i mean there was you know there was shows now where there has been lowriders inside galleries and major museums because they're in itself a, a marvelous it's work of art, art that's one of a kind and um you know within that culture there's you know there's levels of how how well you can get up there you yeah. know um and i've grown up around cars and i've had friends that you know we don't we were you know we were young and we were riding around in lowriders and yeah and it was kind of like the thing and it was yeah. kind of a thing that you just did because yeah. that's how you grew up uh-huh um i mean i know in movies and all that stuff it's like oh this is what la is this is what brown people do yeah it's like not all of us no, get not to do all that. la do that yeah not, i mean not all brown only only that. some of us get the virtue of having that and some yeah. of us don't because you know it's a whole different world and it's a whole different commitment just like a hot rod yeah just like a souped up car you know you have to commit to that kind of lifestyle because yeah. half of the money that you're earning is going into this a good part of it. a good part of it is going into this vehicle so just so you guys know this uh this podcast is sponsored by ragtop ferns barbecue which means i'm gonna get some free barbecue no, i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, so let me let me ask you some stuff and it's um it's my lightning round and i think we, we've done this before uh-huh uh, I'm going to say some words, and you're going to tell me what you think okay. about this, okay? Nike Cortez. Early Cholo shoe. Now it's been really popular. Oh, now it's that and that ugly Fila shoe that was like another, like, <laughs> that was like if you couldn't have the Cortez, you bought the Filas. And I, was like, I remember for a while even the Reeboks were coming out, and everybody was wearing those. It's it's like everything. BK Knights, remember those? Uh, yeah. The K-Swisses. The K-Swisses. Cases were, were really popular, especially the white ones. Everybody had the a white pair ones. Of those. They were like with the the very simple plain. Gl- I remember those were in style yeah. when I was like in high school. But now, school. like I I remember having black on black leather Cortezes when I was a kid. I was in junior high, and um, the other day I walked somewhere and I, there was somebody who had uh, rose petal Cortezes, uh, and I was like, oh shit! And those were like the cheapest shoes you could yeah. get to back then. And I think. People didn't buy those. They weren't like Cholo shoes because Cholos were like, these are going to be our official uniform. It's the signature Cholo shoe. <laughs> but for some odd reason, that was kind of I mean, if, if you if you lived in, in the neighborhood. And you had Cortez. And you had. You were probably up to no good. Yeah. But then also, like, sometimes Cortezes were pretty cheap. So they were like Chucks. You were like, uh, I'm going to. I remember when Chucks were like $20. Yeah. Now they're like, what, like 60 I, I remember when 70? people, the kids in, in Venice were just wearing Vans. Yeah. Because that's what those were cheap shoes, uh-huh. yeah. And I mean, now vans are expensive, and and LA has, has sort of adopted some of the shoes. Like you know, these vans, yeah, were from the West Side. You know, uh-huh. a lot of fools wore Chucks yeah. or Cortezes, uh-huh. you know. And so that those were the the neighborhood shoes, and, yeah. and a lot of them were pretty cheap. Uh, you know, the K Swisses, those were cheap too. Mm-hmm. You can buy them for like twenty five dollars, and people wore them all yeah. the time. And so it wasn't something like the the LA like that there was a uniform for being brown and in a poor neighborhood or being uh-huh. a gangster. It was yeah. that, you know, but after a while you knew that if you saw some fools with Cortezes, you were like, Oh dang. Yeah. These, right. these are, pr- these guys are probably up to something. Yeah. And they're pro. You yeah. Know, they're not, they're not. Um, what about hoop earrings? You know what? I never made much of hoop earrings, but I guess like, supposedly that's like the hoochie earring or whatever. <laughs> like if you're in the hood, if the bigger, the hoop, the it's kind of like those bamboo, earrings that they had in new york they were all like you know like bell shaped yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that i think in la 
girls with hoop earrings. I thought that was sexy though. I thought it was like you know what I never paid much attention yeah. to them. But then, I just remember that yeah. Oh, then they got out of hand. People yeah. started putting their name on it, and and then they were getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. And then you're like, damn, girl. So yeah, I remember all that. Uh, street. Let's talk about street food. Okay. Elotes. I love them. It's just any kind that comes in, and you're like, yo, that's it. Well, no, and that's another thing too. That's what I love about that neighborhood. I got the tamal dude in the morning, and then I got the elote dude later in the day. And when it starts getting hot, they even start adding uh, raspados. So, uh, raspados to me is is kind of that my my little vice. Like every time, even if I'm not hungry, or even if it's cold, like if I hear the guy with the raspado, you know, I hear that <laughs> that yeah. scratching. I'm like, man, I gotta, the little cowbells. I gotta, get, and they always have all the syrup, and that's how you know if somebody's legit. Yeah, if they have a lot of syrups, uh huh, and they're not from like pre-made bottles, they're like just random bottles that he has that he yeah. makes. Uh, but I'm not down with champurrado. I, I'm not a fan of champurrado. I'm not a fan of atole. I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I don't like hot drinks. That's just me. Even my, my fancies are weird. What, what, for those who don't speak Spanish, what, what is atole? Uh, that's hard to explain. Even I don't know how to explain that one too. It's, 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 what is it like corn? No, it's, well, I guess it's masa based drink. Yeah. So it's corn. So it's, the same thing that they make tortillas with, it into a drink. They make it into a drink, and it has. Sometimes they come with pieces of corn. Isn't it made with rice too? Or they uh, some make them sure. with rice yeah. too. I, I, it, it's like a porridge, but you drink it. It's a very thick, consistent. Yeah, drink. like you could, you could, like I said, I, I've said this before. It reminds me of Elmer's glue. Like, I, I, you know what? It almost has a consistency of if if you were to like just maybe grind up oatmeal, make oatmeal yeah. into a liquid, but it thicker. In a sense, something yeah. like that. Like the consistency of oatmeal, but yeah. in a liquid. I, I just don't, uh, I don't dig it. It's not my thing. Yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah, that yeah. flavor. And, and I don't, you know, and I know our some of our people are going to get upset about that, it, but. I don't like atole <laughs> or champurrado. <laughs> yeah. Champurrado to me is just like, it's just like a brown substance that oozes and it's like, and it's hot and I'm just. Ah, I'm some cool, people love cool, it. Cool, cool. They love it. Pozole or menudo? Oh, I'm a pozole person. Ah, my fiance is menudo. I, uh, I just, I don't like textures the texture in menudo i that just stomach, I can't do it that honeycomb I'm, i can't I'm do that down shit. yeah I i'm can't. a pozole guy all all you know i love it when it's just sitting in in the stove for like since the from the morning and the I next eat it at day night. it's even better oh it's even better yeah and it's all El recalentado. oh my god people don't understand like if you there's some really good pozole spots in la and if you find one uh i would recommend that especially in a sunday morning after you've had a couple of drinks the night before and Hang you're feeling a little yeah That'll set you just right. Man, I don't even got to be hungover. Eat that <laughs> shit off. <laughs> you know what I found? It's like now they're doing canned pozole. Oh. And it's like, I don't know. And it's, and it's you know, from random companies. There's one company called Chata, which I thought was funny. Uh-huh. But um, Chata means like cheeks, like a yeah. cheek, you know, and it's like a female tense of cheeks. So, um, bolillos or tortillas? Uh, you know what? Growing up, I was never really into eating tortillas i would always like it's crazy when i would eat food that my mom would make i would eat just pure meat i wouldn't even eat rice i wouldn't eat beans so if she were to make it was always rice beans something rice beans and this rice beans and that yeah i would always just eat the meat that's it 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 wasn't until i got older yeah that i started eating the tortillas or i started using bolillos but honestly i I mean if i had to pick one now probably tortillas because even like my fiance says i turn everything into a taco Ah, nice. Okay. Like, oh, everything doesn't need to be a taco. We'll be watching like cooking shows. Yeah. Like chopped or something like that. And she's like, oh, I knew you were going to make a taco. <laughs> You'll make a taco. If you go to that show, you're just going to make tacos. 
I'm I'm big on 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 beans. I love black beans, uh-huh. and I know you guys do pinto beans and so forth. But I grew up with tortillas and um, bolillos, but I love bread. I love bolillos. See, but bolillo uh-huh. is actually more of a like a central Central American, yeah. And, and we under. didn't. And the thing is, and I've said this before, we didn't have the regular bolillos that you see on on your stores. We yeah. had these things, these perujos. They were just like these little <laughs> cupcakes. That's something. Some that that word is something yeah, else right? in Mexican. <laughs> oh yeah, is it <laughs> perujo? Yeah. If what you call mean? somebody a perujo, that's like you're call, well. I don't want to offend anybody, but you call somebody a pirujo, you're calling them gay. Oh, really? Like if you call like oh pinchi pirujo, you're calling them. Oh like, no, I didn't know gay. that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, let's Filipinos, not use that word. <laughs> Filipinos have puto. Oh, really? There's a bread that Filipinos have. It's a salted bread, and it's called puto. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's Learn something learning every something every day. day. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Selena. I, I, I honestly didn't even know who she was until she passed away. Right? I didn't know who she was when my neighbor's like, oh, they killed Selena. I'm like, who's Selena? I, I, I don't know. We, we, there's, you know, there's a whole resurgence that has happened lately too. I remember when she was popular. My mom knew who she was. I don't know. I had no idea. And then I remember that she became popular when she passed away. Yeah. And then after Jennifer Lopez made the movie, her career skyrocketed. Uh, but there's, I feel like there's more now an attention to her than it was before. And I'm not yeah. sure if there's a whole new generation that just discovered her, so they like her. Because this goes back to what you were saying, too, also, that now everyone wants to accept who they are. They want to push that image, like, look, I'm Mexican, or look, I'm Mexican-American, or look, I'm Latino, I'm this, or the new word Latinx, however you want to say yeah. you are. It's like, it. The it's people are trying to be more proud, or at least they're being more acceptance of, uh, accepted of who they are. Well, I, I hope that they're being more acceptive of who they are. And, and, I, and I feel like, you know, like I said, all brown people are not the same. We don't have the same narratives, and and that's what these conversations are about. But I think if you want to call yourself Latinx, that's fine. I know that there's arguments about not using that. Uh, I know that if you are accepting of things that we had before, that you're just discovering, that's fine. I think as long as you can be yourself, um, the the saddest thing is to do is to find people that are just doing it to ride the wave. I do feel like sometimes people will because we have opinions people will think oh well they're just angry brown people yeah and it's no it's like we just you know identity has been such a big deal to us it's not who we are all the time but it makes up a part of our psyche because we live in a country where our identity is being you know sort of challenged and sort of sought after against pe- with people who don't want us to be here or people mm-hmm. who want to attack us and or i that think they want to exploit your they want to exploit us profit. yeah it's like um, you know, I, I'm so tired of seeing Frida Kahlo stuff in people's houses, and it's like, I'm so tired of seeing, you know, people wearing, you know, uh, mariachi costumes or sombreros or sarapes for Halloween. It's like, to me, it's like, that's, <laughs> that's like, come on, you know? You're being Mexican for Halloween? You're being Mexican for Halloween. <laughs> like, the thing to me is like, you're being a cholo for Halloween? Like, yeah. That's like, dude. You don't. Oh yeah, they do that. You don't want to be around cholos. You know, like if cholos see you wearing that, you don't want to be around them. They're, even they're, cholos don't dress like that anymore. Even cholos don't dress like that anymore. No. They're modernized. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's okay to be. They they can be gangsters, but they don't have to dress like that. It's yeah. like that's a caricature of like who people think they yeah. are, and it's like um, I don't think it's funny at all. No, I think it's like when I see somebody dressed as cholo, and I'm like, yo, if you're not a gangster, like you shouldn't do that. Yeah, like I don't dress like that. What does like, that tell I, you? I, I would have dared you to done that. Like. 
20 years ago. Yeah, in, in, in the 80s, in, you know, in, the in, 80s, in Echo and Park and in, 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 on 80s, Temple. early 90s. Yeah. 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 Early 2000s is when it started changing. I just think it's it's hilarious, but um, that is all the time we have. I thank you for coming by. I, I mean, Fern, uh, I've known Fern for a while now, and, and uh, uh-huh. I, I love the, to see his success. I think the city has embraced him as uh, as its own pitmaster for the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, and if you guys have not have his uh, barbecue, you need to make your way to Westmoreland. You need to make your way there really early. Like, yeah. if it if he opens at, what do you open at? At twelve? Well, right. It like I said, right now it's it's it's. I have to sometimes switch with how things are going. Like right now, I'm starting a little bit later. Like before, my usual time was like twelve. Now I'm starting a little bit later, like one, two. But it's just again, it's just things change. Yeah, I, I mean, we have to adapt to what it is. And I think, uh, you know, one of the saddest things that are happening now is like. A lot of the Latino businesses are sort of being affected by all this and um, they don't get the loans. They don't even make it. But some have figured out how to survive. Yeah. And I think uh, like yourself, you know, you got to kind of figure out how to make your way through this new yeah. pandemic uh, business era. And then I'm lucky to also have my like my job, too, that I have this. And that's also the thing. I mean, sometimes, you know, like there's a book called, you know, you know, artists have day jobs or even uh-huh. artists have day jobs yeah um and i feel like this is the time for us to sort of support all the small businesses uh follow fern at ragtop ferns barbecue on instagram and uh if you look out for his posts if you guys want some barbecue figure out what time he's ready make sure that if he says i'm opening at 12 you're there at 11. <laughs> <laughs> parking wise it's a big deal and yeah. also because you don't want to be late uh, bring him a beer. Have a beer with him there. Sit in a stoop. Preferably Modelo. There you go. Uh, thanks a lot for being with us. This is fun. Uh, uh, it's it's a nice turnaround. You were the first person I interviewed in the video series. Uh, now I get to interview here uh-huh. in the podcast in my beautiful studio in my house here in Highland Park. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you guys soon. All right. See you. Thanks for listening. Please leave a like and a comment. Follow us on Instagram at being brown in LA. And remember, if you don't see color, you don't see beauty.